0: Discover what's happening around our province with todayinbc.com. Sign up today to get the latest news right to your inbox and never miss the news that's important to you and your family. From community news in your neighborhood to what's happening in our province, your source for daily news is todayinbc.com.
1: When I went in the second time, I could tell right away, this is two weeks later, I'm back in Emerge, same Emerge, different doctor. And I could tell right away by the looks on their faces that something was very wrong. This time they called in a cardiologist. They hadn't called in a cardiologist two weeks ago because it wasn't my heart, right? It was just indigestion. And this time everything snapped into place and I ended up with an emergency trip up to the cath lab to have a stent implanted in a blocked coronary artery, what doctors used to call the widow-maker heart attack. So it was only after I got home that I started to get really mad. (laughs) Like, how could this have happened to me? How could that doctor have sent me home?
2: I'm Peter McCulley. BC's Carolyn Thomas is a Mayo Clinic-trained women's health advocate, a heart attack survivor, blogger, author, and speaker. Recently, she was a speaker at the Canadian Women's Heart Health Summit held in Vancouver. We're talking women's heart health on this edition of Today in BC. I'm glad you could join us on the podcast today, Carolyn. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for inviting me. I recently saw some statistics on women's heart health from the Canadian Women's Heart Health Centre. It was alarming to say the least. Every seven minutes, a Canadian woman is diagnosed with heart disease. Every 20 minutes, a Canadian woman suffers a heart attack. And women in Canada are seven times more likely to die of cardiovascular disease than breast cancer. And you've written a book, A Women's Guide to Living with Heart Disease. Your personal experience has inspired you to write the book?
1: The book actually never was on my agenda, nor was having a heart attack. Uh, Like most people, I thought heart attacks, when number one happened to men, old men, old fat men out on the golf course who clutched their chests, fall down unconscious, 911, CPR. To me, that was a heart attack, and yet... I walked into emergency both times because the first time I went to emerge with really what are considered textbook Hollywood heart attack symptoms, central chest pain, nausea, sweating, pain down my left arm. The first time I went in, I was told that I was in the right demographic for acid reflux and I should go home and see my family doctor and get a prescription for antacids. I felt so embarrassed that day that when my symptoms continued, which of course they did, I was too embarrassed to go back to eMERGE. And I believe that doctor, he had the letters MD after his name, and he told me very confidently, it is not your heart. So you don't have to tell me twice. Plus, I'd rather have indigestion than heart disease. So I was relieved to hear him say that. So when my symptoms continued, I was popping Tums and Gavscon, and that went on for two weeks. It's a miracle. (laughs) And it just got worse and worse. But at no time, including a flight to Ottawa for my mother's 80th birthday, and I was very ill on the plane. I was having severe symptoms, especially on the way home. And at no time did I call the flight attendant over because I was sick, because I didn't want to be one of those passengers they have to turn the plane around for because of a medical emergency. And how embarrassing would that be for indigestion? So instead, I just curled myself up into a little ball. And all I could think of was that I, as soon as I get home, and if you've ever been sick far away from home, you probably know that feeling. You just feel like if I could just get home to my own little bed, somehow things will be better. And that's all I thought about. And then it was sometimes during that five-hour flight that I decided I'm going back to Emerge. I don't care what they say, but I still wasn't thinking heart. I was thinking I need drugs, serious drugs for this indigestion, possibly intravenous. I used to think at the time, how do people stand it? Like I've heard of acid reflux. I'd never had it before, but I'd heard about it. And I thought, how do people stand it? I have to go to work tomorrow. I can't work like this. I could barely walk five steps without having to stop. When I went in the second time, I could tell right away, this is two weeks later, I'm back in eMERGE, same eMERGE, different doctor. And I could tell right away by the looks on their faces that something was very wrong. This time they called in a cardiologist. They hadn't called in a cardiologist two weeks ago because it wasn't my heart, right? It was just indigestion. And this time everything snapped into place and I ended up with an emergency trip up to the cath lab, as they call it, to have a stent implanted in a blocked coronary artery, what doctors used to call the widow-maker heart attack, which is a very male-centric description of my heart attack. It implies that the wife of the patient becomes a widow because it's such a severe heart attack in one of the biggest coronary arteries. So it was only after I got home that I started to get really mad. Like, really, I was so overwhelmed when I was in the hospital that me, of all people, could be experiencing this. And it took me a while to get really upset. Like, how could this have happened to me? How could that doctor have sent me home? I often say that I wish the emergency doctor who misdiagnosed me and sent me home had only bothered to Google my symptoms. (laughs) Because I'm pretty sure that if you Google central chest pain, nausea, sweating, and pain down your left arm, there's only one result that you would get and that's myocardial infarction or a heart attack. And yet, because he was so confident, here I am, middle-aged woman, walks in on her own steam, which I learned later is very common for women having heart attacks. So his decision to send me home, I think was what triggered how upset I was after the fact. How could that have happened to me? How does it happen to other women? And that's when I started looking stuff up. (laughs) I asked Dr. Google, how often does this happen that women in mid-heart attack get misdiagnosed and sent home? And that's how I discovered a huge uh, influence in my life, which was Mayo Clinic. I was on the Mayo Clinic website And there was a little sidebar that said, are you a woman living with heart disease? Apply now to attend the Women Heart Science and Leadership Symposium at Mayo Clinic. I thought, I'm a woman living with heart disease, I'm going. So I applied, never occurred to me, I wouldn't be accepted, I just planned I'm gonna go. And Mayo Clinic, that's pretty impressive. Within a few weeks, I got a letter back. In those days, you got letters saying, congratulations, you've been accepted. I was the first Canadian they'd ever accepted into this annual training. And there were 45 of us in our class. It was about five days. The youngest person was 31. The oldest was 71. And everybody in between. We had vegans. We had... Triathletes, we had a physician in our group. So, a real cross section of all kinds of women, young and old. And what I learned there was what I call cardiology boot camp. Their intention in hosting this training is to send women like me back home to our hometowns and talk to other women because cardiologists at Mayo knew that women are not getting this message, that heart disease is a woman's problem as well as a man. And the stats that you read at the beginning were really shocking, aren't they? Especially if you're a woman like me who believes women don't get heart disease.
2: They were an eye opener, that's for sure. You touched on it. Can you explain the differences in how heart disease presents in men versus women?
1: There's been a lot of attention lately to what they call atypical symptoms in women. And these could be things like crushing fatigue and stomach problems and not the crushing Hollywood heart attack that I was having. But the reality is that chest pain is still the number one heart attack symptom for both men and women. However, women tend to have additional Symptoms that can sometimes confuse an emergency doctor. So, if I say that I've had pain in my shoulder, but I was gardening yesterday, right away the doctor will say it could be a muscle problem, it could be this acid reflux, which is a very common misdiagnosis, or it could be a gallbladder problem, or it could be stress. And what woman is not feeling stressed, right? So, if you have anxiety or stress on your medical chart, it's very hard to go on from there. They're not going to order. Cardiac tests, for example, to see if it could be cardiac. But chest pain, as I said, is still the number one symptom that says something is wrong. Let's get this seen. My advice to anybody who's having any symptoms that don't feel right to you, if something feels not normal, at Mayo Clinic, they talked about symptoms from neck to navel that come on with exertion and go away with rest. That's a warning sign for cardiac. And what I tell women is, you know, your body, you know, when something is just not right. And when you feel that way, you do exactly what you would do if this symptom were happening to somebody that you care about and you do it fast. So remember that time is muscle.
2: The book emphasizes the importance of self-care for people with heart disease. And what are some of the practices that have been particularly helpful for you?
1: I have to say that I'm a former distance runner. Before my heart attack, for almost 20 years, I was a distance runner, and so I couldn't run after my heart attack, not because of my heart attack, but because I developed arthritis in my knee, so I became very painful to run, but walking was, I think, the best thing that I could have possibly done, because Here's the thing. If you have, let's say you have a blocked coronary artery, as I did, and the cardiologist put a stent in there to help the blood flow through where it used to be blocked, that affects one tiny area of the heart. Now you hear about people who have multiple stents put in multiple coronary arteries, or people who have surgery and they have multiple, they have quadruple bypass or quintuple bypass in several arteries. A procedure only affects the coronary artery that's being operated on. Whereas walking or other types of exercise affect every cell in your body, not just the ones in your heart. Really interesting study out of Germany that took two groups of heart patients. One was told to ride bicycles three times a week and the other had a stent implanted and medications to help support the stent. And guess which group did better at the end of one year? the group who rode their bikes. So this is a hard sell to patients because if you tell a patient, male or female, that there's a blockage in one of your coronary arteries, but we think we can manage it through exercise, (laughs) most people are gonna say, I want that blockage cleaned out. So it's a hard sell for patients Patients like it when doctors say, we're going to do this invasive procedure, and we think this will help. But actually, putting a stent in your artery doesn't prevent you from having another cardiac event. It may help your symptoms, but chances are the blockage could come back. If you have a blockage in one artery, we know that having a heart attack is one of the biggest risk factors for having another heart attack, because you've already got this tendency to grow these blockages. Invasive procedures are not always the best. Sometimes things like getting more exercise. There's a cardiologist in the States, Dr. John Mandrola, and he has a saying that I just love. And he says, you only have to exercise on the days you plan to eat. <laughs> Isn't that a good reminder? Like I I just had breakfast. So today is the day.
2: <laughs> After all of this, what did the cardiologist tell you was the main cause of your heart problems? Was it Lifestyle, DNA, a mix?
1: That's a really good question because when I was in the intensive care unit after my heart attack, every doctor and every nurse that I met there asked me the same questions. Were you a smoker? Did you have a family history? They all wanted to know because everything else was normal. My cholesterol was normal. I'd been a runner for for years and years. But the one risk factor that I did have that I didn't even know about until two years after my heart attack was that I had a pregnancy complication years earlier with my first baby called preeclampsia. And this is a very serious problem, often seen in first time moms with your first baby. And it's a problem with a spike in high blood pressure during pregnancy, a bunch of other symptoms, problems with your vision, usually Bed rest or immediate induction of the baby is necessary. But in my case, once the baby arrives, the preeclampsy goes away and you never think about it. And it was only two years later that I read in the New York Times about a Queen's University researcher named Dr. Graham Smith, who had published research saying that pregnancy complications like mine are highly linked to future heart disease which I never knew. So here I am walking around with this risk factor that's unique to women. And there are a number of other pregnancy complications like having miscarriages, having a full-term but low birth weight baby is a risk factor that something's wrong with the vascular system that's supposed to be growing the baby. Those are the kind of risk factors that I don't think anybody except Dr. Graham Smith was really sounding the alarm with back in 2008.
2: So, Carolyn, I understand the book that you've written about heart disease, A Woman's Guide to Living with Heart Disease, was published by John Hopkins University.
1: Yes, it was. And I never planned this. I never thought in a million years I'd be writing a book about this. But I got a call out of the blue one day from the executive editor at Johns Hopkins, and she said, we love your blog, Heart Sisters. We love how you write. Have you ever considered writing a book based on all of the articles that you've written in your blog? At that time, I had hundreds of articles because I really threw myself into this research and knowledge sharing that I'd learned at Mayo. And at first I said, no, I would never do that because I'm a heart patient and I've still got some ongoing symptoms. And it's way too much work, way too much for a heart patient to take on. And she said, look at it this way. You've already written the book. You just take two paragraphs from this article and a few paragraphs from that article and you put them together and there's your book. And I thought, well, that does sound easy. (laughs) So so I said, yes. And then two years later, the book came out. So I was the most surprised person ever by the time I saw the book, because really, it had never been my intention. But when I wrote the book, basically, I wrote the book that I wish I could have been able to find when I was freshly diagnosed and overwhelmed and scared and didn't know a single person, nobody in my family or my social circle had ever had a cardiac event. I basically wrote the book that answered some of the questions I had back then.
2: When Today in BC continues, Carolyn Thomas talks about the unique challenges that women with heart disease face.
0: Search, browse, buy. Black Press Media brings you today's drive. Find your new vehicle on our exclusive platform and get driving. At todaysdrive.com, you'll have access to inventory across B.C., where you can easily find a vehicle that fits your needs and gets you where you need to go in comfort. With new and used vehicles from the dealership around the corner and dealers across B.C., the best venue to find your next vehicle is todaysdrive.com.
2: I'm Peter McCulley. Today in B.C. is a Black Press Media podcast. Carolyn, can you tell us about some of the lifestyle changes that you've made since the original diagnosis?
1: Yeah, I had a bunch of changes imposed on me that I didn't choose to make. For example, I could not continue working at the time. My entire career had been in public relations for three and a half decades. So that had to change. I also changed my diet in a funny way, and that is that I'm not a vegetable eater, and I suddenly became... Obsessed with eating fruits and vegetables and much healthier food. I come from a Ukrainian background, and we always talk about the holy trinity of Ukrainian diets, which is butter, bacon, and sour cream. Those are my favorite foods, right? I really have made an effort and my family, I must say, they're very strict about policing what I eat and what I don't eat. So they know more about heart healthy diets than the average person. When I was doing my Mayo Clinic training, they really recommend the Mediterranean diet, some version of a Mediterranean diet, which is lots of fruits and vegetables, very little red meat, lots of fish, especially fatty fish, like salmon, for example. The Mediterranean diet isn't a diet, per se. It's just a very healthy, heart-healthy way of eating.
2: Can you talk about some of the unique challenges that women with heart disease face?
1: Yes, I think one of the biggest challenges right off the bat is getting an accurate diagnosis. A few years ago, the Heart and Stroke Foundation issued a report that was shocking. It said that women tend to be underdiagnosed compared to our male counterparts who are presenting with the same symptoms. Underdiagnosed and undertreated, even when appropriately diagnosed. That's shocking, unless you're a person like me and you've been reading about more and more about these studies that say the same thing. And one of the worst studies, I must say, was a couple of years ago out of the States, and it was a study on ambulances. And they found that if a woman was in the back of the bus, as paramedics say, the woman is being transported from home to the hospital with cardiac symptoms. The ambulance is significantly less likely to have flashing lights and sirens than if a man is in the back of the ambulance you tell me how is that possible how is that possible and in the ambulance world there's a very strict list of who gets priorities so for example a person having a cardiac arrest or a person who's been in a terrible motor vehicle accident they get transported first so even women in cardiac arrest don't get the same kind of treatment in the ambulance. And that even involves basic things like monitoring the heart with an EKG, giving a person an aspirin, which is standard practice for paramedics to do that en route to the hospital. Doctors like to say time is muscle. So the faster you can get to the hospital in an acute emergency like a heart attack, the greater the likelihood they'll be able to help you. And the opposite of that is true too.
2: And what group is spearheading a push for those changes?
1: It was interesting. You mentioned that I had spoken at the Canadian Women's Heart Health Summit in Vancouver. The speakers at that conference were really inspiring. Many cardiologists who their whole mission in life is to close what they call the gender gap in cardiology. So to help educate not only women, because women are the ones who are unaware that this is not just a man's problem, but to educate their physicians as well.
2: Because women wouldn't be aware it's a problem until it's a problem.
1: Oh, not only that, but women's priorities. There's been a lot of studies on this, which again, I didn't find out until after my heart attack, unfortunately. When I was at Mayo Clinic, they talked about a study that they had done at Mayo and it was on women's priorities because they wondered, why are women slower than men being really slower than men To seek help during a cardiac event. They asked women, what are your highest priorities? What's more important to you? Like, what are you waiting around for? And they found the answers were really interesting. Number one, the number one answer in their survey was family, specifically children. If you have children, that's your number one priority. Number two was home, where we live, how we live, how clean our homes are. Work came in number three, not only as a source of income, but as source of self-esteem, workplace relationships. After that was pets, which was surprising at first. But then when you think about it, we just love our pets. Underneath the pets is the spouse,
2: <laughs> right below,
1: right below the dog. Right.
2: Yep, sounds about right.
1: <laughs> and the last on the list was myself. So, think about that. That means, for generally speaking, there are exceptions, of course, but generally speaking, the Mayo study found that after your family, the children, home, work, pets, your spouse, then you will take care of your own needs. So that's a really important element that has to be changed. It's like when you're on the plane and they warn you, put on your own oxygen mask before you deal with the children, because women will instinctively take care of the kids first or other people whose needs they identify as more important than my needs. So we have to really put ourselves number one. What I tell my audiences when I give talks about this is, what would you do if it were your daughter or your mom or your sister or your friend who was having the same symptoms I was having when I got on that plane in Ottawa and flew home to Victoria? There isn't a woman in any of my audiences who wouldn't agree. Of course, if it were my daughter or my sister or my mom, I would be screaming blue murder. I would have demanded that they turn that plane around if a sick person like me was sitting next to them. So why don't we do that for ourselves? That's a very important dilemma that women have to face. I really urge women, think of what you would do if this was your sister or your mom or your daughter, and then do exactly the same thing for yourself.
2: Carolyn, what advice would you give to someone who's recently been diagnosed with heart disease?
1: The first thing I would say is to remember that you are not, always going to feel this way. And I say this because having any kind of a cardiac event, a heart rhythm problem, a valve problem, a cardiac event, like a heart attack, any kind of cardiac event is so overwhelming and so shocking and so frightening for many women that it's easy to believe that things are bad now and they're just going to get worse. So for example, many women have told me that after their cardiac event, every twinge Every bubble, everything that happens in their chest or their abdomen means that I have to call 911 because it's back again. And it doesn't mean that. We learn to differentiate between what's a normal twinge or a bubble and what is alarming, and alarming enough to call 911.
2: How has living with heart disease changed your perspective on life?
1: It's changed pretty well everything. And in a funny way, one of the things that I had to learn very fast was pacing, which is a skill I had never bothered to learn. I was one of those PR people always running around with my hair on fire. First one at work every day, last one to leave, always the go-to person on the team. That was who I was. And then suddenly I had to stop work and then pace the rest of my days because I have ongoing symptoms, probably due to the two-week delay in actually getting appropriate treatment. So I have ongoing symptoms now of something called microvascular disease, which are the small vessels, the smallest vessels that feed the heart muscle. Too small to stent, too small to bypass, but still causing severe symptoms like chest pain, crushing fatigue, shortness of breath. So it's like having a heart attack every day. So I've had to learn to pace myself every day, interrupted by naps sometimes. For example, even chatting with you is considered an outing. I call these days one outing days or two outing days, or rarely I'll have a three outing day. I used to have five outings on my way to my first outing. <laughs> you know, pretty <every> heart attack. <laughs> yeah. I was that kind of person. So when you go from running around with your hair on fire to being very cautious and careful and saying, I don't know, it's almost nap time, (laughs) better get home. It's a very profound change.
2: I'd like to thank Carolyn Thomas for being with us on this edition of Today in BC. If you have suggestions or comments, send us a voice message to podcast at blackpress.ca. You may be part of our podcast mailbag segment. You'll find Today in BC podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, and Google podcasts.